Hello, my name's Ian Forth and welcome to Sombrero Fallout, where we listen to alternative music through the filter of intriguing themes. there we're going to plunge into another of our uh, periodic interviews on this edition of sombrero fallout <clears throat> and uh, today we're going to be talking to a guy you may well not have heard of a guy called pinko fowler who nonetheless when i read his brief biography to you they're going to make you think gosh that guy has rather like zelig in that film or the spider at the center of the web been connected to some of the most important events in indie music history and not only that when we do the interview you'll see he goes beyond indie music into things like shooting guns off Hunter S. Thompson's veranda anyway let me just give you a brief outline of who we're talking about here Pinko started working at Rough Trade record label and the shop pre and during the Smiths era and the rise of indie he then went to Southern Studios which was then the home of Crass and On New Sound recordings at which point he started shooting live concerts, including Big Black, Swans, Mark Stewart and the Mafia, Pixies and Sonic Youth. Next, he started possibly the most important alternative TV program of the 80s, Snub TV, first in America, then for the BBC, featuring bands such as The Cramps, Butthole Surfers, My Bloody Valentine and The Fall where he went to Aspen to film Hunter S. Thompson with Steve Albini, the famous producer and the man behind Big Black. He made videos there, uh, there on, thereafter, thence, <clears throat> sorry, for The Fall, Dinosaur Jr., Jesus and Mary Chain, Tackhead, UVS. He then did a documentary with The Cure, where he travelled with them throughout South America, called Play at Home. Then, in 1997, uh, he shot a 23-minute concert for the KLF at the Barbican called Fuck the Millennium. Then he worked at Island Records with artists such as PJ Harvey, Deus and Tricky. Then at V2 with artists such as Mercury Rev and Granddaddy before moving to Sydney, Australia, uh, where he made the Silverchair Powderfinger concert film Across the Drake Divide. Hmm. Impressed? I know I was. I caught up with Pinko a few weeks ago. And uh, we're going to be playing part one in this episode. He's picked some terrific, very on-brand sombrero fallout tracks for us. Uh, so, okay, let's go over and start listening to what Pinko's got to say. Record. So, uh, welcome, if I may call you Pinko. You can. Uh, it feels a little awkward, Pinko Fowler. Where does the name come from, Pinko? Perhaps we'll start there. Oh, it, it, um, I was in a band called Pink Flamingos and, um, you know, it wasn't quite as hard-hitting as Sid Vicious or Johnny Rotten, but that's where it sort of started. Um, and we put out a single just because you had to. Uh, and, um, yeah, the name just stuck. Gotcha. That's it. That's it, yeah. That's nice. Okay. Um, your CV, as it were, your, your, your list of accomplishments within the, the music business 
I think places you as the ideal interviewee for Sombrero for that. So thank you very much for uh, agreeing to speak to, to us uh, today. That's oh, it's a I'm a big fan of uh, the fallout. Oh, thank you so much for a reciprocal backslapping here. Um, I think we're going to start um, probably once punk's gone, it's, we, we, we've had all the excitement of punk in 77, and then probably people like you and me get a little bit more interested in what happened next. You pick up the story for us there, Pinko. Yeah, well, I think after that initial burst of, of, of the key players like the Ramones and the Pistols and the Clash and the Dam, that it, it was beginning to go into a bit of a formula. And I think bands like um, the Swell Maps, who you're going to hear any second, were kind of the first to sort of take it a bit further. It's more experimental, a bit more arty. I mean, there was other bands doing similar things. Obviously, you've covered in the past bands like Gang of Four and, and um, the Au Pairs, Delta Five, that were mixing stuff up a bit. And then later, of course, Public Image. But Swell Maps, for me, were a, a really exciting band, a really fun band. And I had the pleasure of uh, meeting them because I used to go and spend sort of every Friday or Saturday all my money in the Rough Trade shop. And often um, Epic and his brother Nicky from the band would be behind the counter. So you go down and linger in there for a couple of hours and chat and catch oh, wow. up, and, you know, swap uh, hints of you know, what the greatest bit of vinyl was released that week. And so you know, one Friday I went in there and I was fed up with the sort of menial job I'd had before. And um, I asked uh, one of the guys around Peter or Nigel around the county, I haven't got any jobs going. And they went, oh, well, go and ask this guy called Jeff Travis out the back sort of thing. <laughs> well, he might, and then I said, have you got a job going? And I listed a few bands I happened to like most of which obviously were on Rough Trade. And um, he said, yes, yeah, start Monday. Really? So, and the rest of your um, life was set from there? Yeah, yeah. So that was five years. Uh, I was there um, pre the Smiths, signing of the Smiths, and then most of the Smiths' life uh, after. So um, it was exciting times, definitely. I think it was kind of the height of indie. It really took off. It went from being a tiny little thing to, you know, there were clubs. I mean, Adam McGee from Creation set up various little clubs in the back of pubs. And there was there was always something interesting going on. Mm. Uh, you just see Mick and Paul, uh, Mick Jones and Paul Simmons um, on their push bike cycling around uh, <laughs> that sort of area, you know. And there was there were a lot it was before it was like most of London, it was before it was gentrified where there, there was a lot of squatting. Yeah. Um, and it was a bit rougher and it was a bit more violent, but it was um I think it was a lot more fun then as yeah. well. Okay, so let's hear the first uh, song. I think that's going to be Spitfire Parade by Swell Map. <laughs>
I, right, I bought um, a Beta Max um, camcorder thing, uh, like a backpack and a camera, and because um, I always wanted to m make films and videos and stuff. And so I just go along whenever we have one of our basically a rough trade band playing, just go along and film it from the side oh, okay. of the stage. So it was very amateurish and you know the technical quality wasn't great. But yeah, shot the fall um, at the venue, which was a which was a venue in Victoria at that time. I think it was owned by Virgin. Uh -huh. um, and shot the Virgin Prunes the fridge in Brixton. Uh, yeah. I can't remember the go between. Yeah, you know, and I just take it home and then bump it from my Betamax machine to a VHS machine and just run off copies for people that rough trade wow. and stuff. And of course, I've lost every single foot inch of that footage. Now, Have you? Oh no! Yeah, Can you I know. Imagine what that would be worth. Well, to some people, anyway. I know. Well, I filmed the Smiths. They did a GLC benefit, which is Greater London Council benefit in a car park by the GLC Town Hall. You'll remember on the, the South yeah. Bank sitting on the side of the stage. The next one I've got is a band that were on Rough Trade. Uh, they were quite a short-lived band. Uh, and in a way, it's one of the very few bands that sort of had a more punk rock sound, but of a Parisian band called Metal Urbane. Um, they were a bit more electronic. I only ever saw them play once uh, at the Moonlight um, in West Hampstead. And they were probably one of the most violent bands I've ever seen. Urbain or Urbain, who knows? Uh, panic or Panique, 
from Les Hommes Morsons Dangers. That's an yeah. slice of early French uh, music, as we say, before they were chic. Uh, so <laughs> tell us a little bit more about what's, what's going to happen next oh. in your life and your musical world, Pinko. So been working at Rough Trade, um, the Smiths had come in and been huge and, and kind of pissed off every other band on Rough Trade because all the other bands thought that we'd spend too much time on the Smiths. So I bumped into Lindy, um, Morrison, the drummer from the Go-Betweens, who lives yes. not 10 minutes from me here in Sydney. Wow. And uh, over the um, the uh, cabbages and lettuce in our local greengrocer store, she said, oh, yeah, we always hated the Smiths because we thought everybody at Rough Trade just loved them and didn't give a shit about, you know, Aztec Camera and the Go-Betweens and the bands who kind of yeah. been sort of established. And, I mean, that wasn't the truth at all. I mean, they were kind of paying the bills. But um, this, this album, I think Scott Walker sings Jack Rob. There's not a duff track on it. Yeah. Um, Great and in fact, those first four Scott albums, there's probably one duff track on every album, but not much more than that. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible body of work. So, um, okay. yeah, just change of pace. Here's Scott Walker. Mama, do you see what I see? On your knees and pray for me. Matilda's come back to me. Charlie, don't want another beer. Tonight I'm gonna drink my tears. Matilda's come back to me. Go ask the maid if she heard what I said. Tell her to change the sheets on the bed. Matilda's come back to me. Fellas, don't leave me tonight. Tonight I'm going back to fight. Wretched Matilda's inside My heart, my heart stopped beating so Just make as if you didn't know Matilda's come back to me My heart, I don't want you to say She's lovelier than when she went away Matilda, come back to me my heart stopped being overjoyed Remember you were once destroyed By Matilda who's come back to me Fellas, please don't go away Tell me that I mustn't stay Matilda's coming back today My hands just start to shake again When you remember all the pain Matilda's come back to me you wanna beat her black and blue, but don't you do it, I beg of you. Matilda's come back to me. My hands remember all the years, remember when you caught my tears. Matilda's come back to me. My hands, you wanna touch her now, but please try and be strong somehow. Matilda's here, she's coming now. To me. My friends don't count on me no more. I've gone and crashed through heaven's door. My sweet Matilda's here once more, once more. Scott Walker and Mathilde from 
as Pinko indicated, Scott Walker sings Jacques Brel. Back over to you, Pinko. Yeah, so that was, you know, it was definitely a different sound to what you know, a lot of indie bands were going for. But a band um, that was coming up at that point in time and who I'm proud to say have remained good friends ever since uh, was the Jesus and Mary Chain. And I think their debut single certainly had a bit of that 60s sound production and people were sort of this Phil Spector and the wall of sound and stuff and the echo and stuff they use. But as a debut single, I don't think you could do better than than what they did. So you still you still keep up with them now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're friends. Um, I mean, Douglas, who was a bass player, uh, we went on to form a band together called Acid Angels, which was him, myself, and my partner Joanne. And we did a one-off twelve-inch single on Product Inc. Uh, we had the idea; it was probably not come up with when we were sober of trying to make a record purely out of sampling motorcycles <laughs> and a lot of people said you just drown yourself in fumes within 10 minutes in a recording studio so that's a stupid idea anyway let's let's hear that for very very first single what would it have been 84 85 from oh, jesus yeah. and mary chain um upside down
uh, Sonic Youth, who I kind of um, made friends with at Rough Trade and in their early tours, they used to stay at my flat in Stoke Newington, or a couple of them did, and a couple lived in a friend's house around the corner. You, you're um, aware that, well, I've got a friend, um, Guy Haslam, and his brother's Dave Haslam. Who is their I know Dave, yeah. yeah. And he, he wrote a book called Sonic Youth Slept on My Floor. I'm very aware of that, and the bastard got there first. But, yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, the story, well, Richard Boone, backtrack a bit here, ran New Hormones Records in Manchester and um, signed the Buzzcocks and managed the yeah. Buzzcocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, he, yeah. he funded the first... Um, Full single, oh, I think. Yeah, that's that's right. And um, he ended up working at Rough Trade. So we became buddies. And he lived in Stoke Newington. And a guy called Paul Smith started uh, this label, um, Glass First, which signed Sonic Youth and Big Black and Battle Surfers and various others. And he he sort of went, oh, could, could you put up, you know, a couple of guys from this band for a few days? We haven't got much money. So I was like, yeah. So I had Lee, Ronaldo and Steve Shirley and Richard Boone had... Kim Gordon, Thurston Moore. <laughs> and because we lived only five minutes from each other, they could send a cab out, pick them up from both houses in the morning and take them off to do whatever they had to do. What, what were Lee and Steve, Steve's table manners like? They were impeccable. That's nice. Um, there, isn't yeah. it? So Steve always looks like such a polite chap. Well, so does Lee Ronaldo, actually. But they all are. And, and it's weird. I mean, other than the butthole surfers, the amount of American bands that came through... Um, Steve Albini used to sit at our house as well, so there you go, Haslam. Um, wow. <laughs> they, they hardly ever drink. They don't do drugs. They don't think they even smoked. And it's like, oh, right, so what, we'll be going to bed at 10 o'clock tonight after news at 10 or whatever. You know, it was like, it, but it, they were such nice people. But, yeah, yeah. It, that's what, you know, because no one had much money, so you, you stayed no, on people. I suppose not. Well, um, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, where do we start with all of the unpacking all of that? I like to think that um, the Pixies all had good table manners as well, uh, hopefully. They did, and they did like a good Mexican meal, so... And, washed yeah. up our, and uh, I imagine, um, I don't know, Joey Santiago on washing up and, and maybe like Francis on drying up. Yeah. Yeah, well, we certainly didn't have a dishwasher in those days, that's for sure. <laughs> Incredible scenes. Wow. Oh, yeah, although Albini did um, one night scream out of my, because it was a first floor, like terraced house. Um, my name is Pinko, why don't you come up and fuck me sometime? <laughs> Which was not the sort of thing you want your neighbours to be hearing, because they barely spoke to us as it was, you know, the noise and everything. Let us pivot into some music. Which So we were talking about Lee Perry earlier, and I think we're going to be hearing... Not quite sure how to pronounce it. Is it Koch or Koch? Koch up dub. I'm saying Koch, yeah. Koch yeah. But I mean, it's, it's such a body of work from the man. It's very hard to pick any one thing out. And I must say, I pretty much just went through some of the old dub albums. And, you know, I was thinking of time length. And, uh, but this, this is a track that just, I think, just kicks off and is great from start to finish. But he obviously was the, the man who invented dub. So, you know, I think it's, uh, Fantastic. Here we go. Here we go.
I, I just think the pop group was just one of those seminal bands. I really do think after, say, the Pistols and the Clash, the next big, big thing was post-punk. And there is no better band that defines that than the pop group. Yeah, they're um, a favourite pop group, aren't they? Because they don't, even within alternative circles, they don't quite have the same iconic status as Gang of Four or Wire or, you know, Paul or Jordan. No, that's right. Uh, and it's it's a bit of a mystery because when you actually do go and and, and listen to them again, uh, it's all there. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, I think everyone should buy uh, the the first two albums. Um, how much longer must we tolerate mass murder and why? Um, and that they are all. I think I sent you a link actually. I think they're both being reissued. I think Mute are, are reissuing them with all the extra tracks, and I think they were going to play live on radio six music in the UK in Coventry and, and do a live concert in dub, actually dub it up. So I think they're going to get Dennis Bavel, I think, into yes. dub it up and, and mix it live, which would be tremendous. I mean, Pop Group came out here uh, a couple of years ago, uh, again, just before COVID, and played, um, and there's probably 200 people in the audience, but yeah. it was a blinding gig. It was pretty much the original lineup. It sounded fantastic. You know, they haven't got sad and old and they're still dynamic. And whoever yeah. their sound guy was, I did say hi to him, but he, he wasn't, you know, Dennis Bavel or Adrian Schert. Um, But he got a great sound out of them. It's just this, you don't know what not instruments making that noise you're hearing. It's just yeah, right. stunning, you know. Mm. Um, and obviously they were very political. Um, but the track I've chosen, Snow Girl, I, I love it. it. It's not necessarily typical pop group and I think I've read somewhere Mark Stewart saying it was kind of too commercial for the pop group but I still think it's odd enough and strange enough and it could be even an entry-level song for people wanting to get into pop group but mm. definitely um, Snow Girl I, I just love it it's sort of been one of those tunes it's, yeah. it, you know, it's a sort of frailty and, and a dynamic that uh, maybe some of the other tracks don't but it, it's an absolute blinder.
the next band I went to film was the Pixies live. And this was one of their, I think it was their second UK tour. And they were touring with Throwing Muses. And they were both 4AD hopes for future. But I think at this yeah. point, 4AD were thinking Throwing Muses were going to be the bigger of the band. I think I saw their gig at, would have been the Town and Country Club there. Maybe it was the, yeah. Oh, that's the one we filmed, yeah. Oh, I was there, right. Okay. Which came out, uh, it, I think it got released later as Loud, Quiet, Loud, Quiet or yeah, something. And, that's and, right, and, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was a, a great gig. And you could, I just felt then uh, the Pixies, definitely, they're going to be the band. That's yeah. the next, next big thing. Um, after the Pixies... Uh, I did Swans, I think, live, which was, again, another um, most extreme, loudest band I've ever heard. Yeah. And they, they were uh, absolutely so loud. And they seemed so slow as well. It was just... <laughs> um, and we ended up putting out this live... It was a mixture of live and film stuff. And I got Michael Jira, the singer from Swans, into, mm. into this live room at Southern, which basically was the size of someone's living room with Hessian walls and soundproofing and no light and no air conditioning. And I was filming, I can't remember, you know, most things were called hole or screw or uh, <laughs> money or whatever, one of those things. And um, he had yogurt over his face and was, as he liked to, was stripped down to a loincloth um, and unfortunately passed out and uh, wouldn't, come to so I had to phone for an ambulance which came up to this what looks like as I said before a, a, a small council house in London <laughs> I'm into a room which is blacked out by Hessian with me and a film camera and an almost naked man on the floor with yoga over his face and I don't know what the ambulance drivers thought they were walking into but well, he probably said isn't that that guy from the swans <laughs> <laughs> And then pr probably one of my favourite live films I've done, uh, as in the end product, was Pulp, which was a, a few years later. And it was absolute height of their career. I, I, I'd been working at Island Records. Um, we'd signed them. The band had been going for about 15 years beforehand. I'd seen them many times in tiny venues and yeah. playing to 15 people. And so, I, but I ended up filming this concert of that tour. And it was great because they, they got a stage set which had stairs going up, up to like a first floor bit at the back of the stage with the balcony. And they had the cardboard cutouts that were the sleeve of the record of each member of the band. So Jarvis had, you could run up and down. I think we had steady cam on one side, a crane on another. And it was, it was just, um, I finally had, you know, budget to do all that sort of shit that yeah, they right. doing. And, uh, and it, it came as released as a uh, feeling called Live, uh, okay, which yeah. is, is online and you know blah blah blah. But yeah. that was that was great fun. And um, please don't tell me that Jarvis is the only person who wasn't a nice guy. Everyone everyone loved Jarvis, surely. He's an awesome. <laughs> no, he was he was good. He was good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's that? What, 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 we ought to play some music at some stage. Leads us nicely into Lee Hazelwood. And Lee Hazelwood was a, a great 60s songwriter and composer and arranger. And um, the stuff he did with Nancy Sinatra uh, is really quite amazing. 
Sundown, Sundown by Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra. Back over to Binko. Well, a, a, a brilliant track, and um, it's going to lead into something that doesn't take a huge leap of imagination. But um, I was a, a massive fan of the birthday party. I think uh, myself and Joe and went to every single birthday party gig they played in London. Um, I did end up filming. Nick Cave live at a, a, a Bad Seeds thing for a week of concerts I did called Viva 8, which was a, a charity thing, uh, eight gigs, eight nights at the Town and Country Club, three bands a night. And it was for what was then called the Spastic Society. I don't even think you're allowed to say that word anymore. But Not anymore. No. That was genuinely what it was for. Yeah. I remember interviewing Nick before the gig. He goes, well, where's all the wheelchair rounds? I was like, no, no, it's not like... Um, and uh, and so Big Audio Dynamite played, Cabaret Voltaire played, Blue Aeroplanes played, uh, loads of bands played. Um, and it was the gig where Roland Howard was brought back on stage because he'd left the band you know, a couple of years before. Okay. There was a real heartwarming moment. Roland came back on stage and joined Birthday Party for a couple of songs, or Birthday Party songs. But anyway, the direct link is um, from that Lee Hazel one. There was a single that 4AD released. Uh, it, was, it was just a standalone 12-inch, and it was Roland Howard 
and Lydia Lunch um, doing their version of Some Velvet Morning. Yeah. 
one was uh, for the same label, 4AD, and again, it was a 12-inch only release. And very early on in 4AD's um, career catalogue, uh, by a band called Rima Rima. And I must say, this 12-inch single has always been one of my top five singles. It's just oh, such wow. a, a noise and assault. Um, didn't know who they were at the time. I do remember being in the Rough Trade shop one weekend and there was a bit of A4 paper stuck on the wall going, people wanted for a band, no talent needed, we're called <laughs> Rima. And I thought, well, that's me. But I didn't apply. Uh, but um, yeah, a couple of years later, this single, uh, the 12-inch wheel in the roses. But anyway, so this, uh, this song, um, Rima Rima, it was a, it was a standalone 12-inch on, on 40. And I think a, a very important record. Um, so please uh, enjoy.
And that is where we are going to leave this episode of Sombrero Fallout. Uh, that was part one of a part two interview co-hosting by Pinko Fowler. Uh, if you've ever wondered what Lindy Morrison talks about when she's buying cabbages, now you know. And it turns out Jarvis is quite a nice guy as well. Uh, hang out for part two in a few weeks' time when we'll be finding out how Pinko founded the UK's most memorable indie music TV programme at the end of the 80s, Snub TV. We'll also find out what Marky Smith is really like, amongst uh, many other highlights as well. Uh, we'll be back in about a week or so's time, I imagine, uh, with uh, a next exciting episode, non-interview episode on this occasion. Um, sadly, I might be starting work. I say sadly, because obviously it's the age-old trade-off between income and, uh, and enjoying yourself, but... Uh, looks like there's the threat of employment hovering over my head up until Christmas. Oh, I'll take it in my stride. It's all good for the bank account, I dare say. But I do hope I'll be able to maintain the relentless schedule of weekly episodes, at least until we begin to emerge from this lockdown period in Australia. Hope everyone's doing well around the world. Um, hope uh, life's treating you fine. We're just having uh, a plague daily riots in Melbourne and yesterday we had an earthquake um, which at first I thought was the digger next door then I thought maybe uh, there was something terrible happening to our house it turned out the whole of Melbourne had endured a 5.9 earthquake which I didn't think was possible sitting on the middle of a tectonic plate but it turned out it was we're all fine, some masonry has fallen down on Chapel Street worse things are happening elsewhere in the world Look after yourself, as I say, and uh, I'll see you probably next week. Bye for now. Separation is divine Here is a strike